May the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Well, today is Palm Sunday, as we know, the Sunday next before Easter, and thus Holy Week begins. In the liturgy for the blessing of the palms, we read the account of the triumphal entry in St. Matthew chapter 21, uh, verses uh, 7 and following, and I'll read an excerpt of that. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And of course, we find that account in verses 7 through 9 of St. Matthew chapter 21. We could see here that the people praised Jesus as he passed by, but many of them praised him for two reasons. First, because of his miracles. He had healed the sick and raised the dead. What's not to like? What's not to be marveled about? But they praised him because he was serving them. And second, because they saw in Jesus potentially a way to be politically delivered from Roman rule and set free from the occupation. Just as the Israelites were delivered from Egypt by Yahweh uh, through their deliverer, Moses. So why wouldn't they think that way? Their praise, however, was tempered with their attitude about Jesus, which was simply this. What can you do for me? A few days later at the trial, we saw the true colors of the people. They saw a beaten and disfigured Jesus after the sham trial before Pilate. And as we read and heard in today's gospel, uh, now the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, which of the, of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? And they all said, let him be crucified. And he said, why? What evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. And of course, we're following our readings that we see in the prayer book, uh, beginning on page 134. So what did they do? They chose a notorious prisoner over their redeemer king, whom they praised, to whom they shouted, Hosanna, to whom the lips of children made sweet Hosanna's ring. Why? Jesus was a man who no longer looked like a deliverer or a conqueror. And as they heard the conflicting testimony about him, they brought into all the lies and they quickly changed their their position. They believed the lies and changed their mind. How fickle, how fickle, especially as they shouted, let him be crucified. Not only how fickle, but how self-serving And yet we may have likely uttered the same words if we were in that crowd as well. Last Sunday, the propers emphasized Christ's atonement on the cross, whereas today the emphasis shifts to who he is as our exalted Redeemer King and his humility that he models for each and every one of us on this Palm Sunday. 
So with that, let's turn to our epistle reading. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. In context, St. Paul wrote an exhortation to the church in Philippi. And what was the exhortation? It was to be of the same mind. It was to be loving. It was to be unselfish. And it was also to practice humility. Humility is what binds all of it together. And in the four verses that lead up to today's text in Philippians chapter 2, we also read, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Wow. That is a lot for us to wrap not only our minds around, but our hearts around. Because humility, which is the characteristic virtue of Christianity as contrasted with paganism as we see it today and as we saw it then is in this text traced to its source in the voluntary self-humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ. As so often with St. Paul, a profound statement of doctrine emerges out of a piece of practical exhortation, because this is an exhortation after all. Today's epistle text is an illustration of the exhortation which presents our Lord Jesus Christ as the supreme example of the humble, self-sacrificing, self-denying, self-giving that the apostle urged the Philippians to practice in their relationship with one another. And that same exhortation extends to us, his people, here at St. Benedict's. St. Paul's purpose, therefore, in illustrating the exhortation is actually more ethical than theological. Even though in this text, which many commentators say constitutes one of the earliest hymns of the Christian church, it is a Christological gem unparalleled in the New Testament according to the late Dr. Gerald Hawthorne, who was professor of New Testament Greek studies at Wheaton College. It is a Christological gem unparalleled in the New Testament. And yet, that was one of the earliest hymns. The apostle's purpose here in this epistle is not merely to give instruction and doctrine, but to reinforce instruction in the way that we as Christians we as brothers and sisters in the faith live our very lives. And he does so by appealing to the conduct of Christ. Holding our Lord Jesus Christ as the supreme example, the ultimate model for how we ought to live. 
Remember the context, which is an exhortation. So what does it mean ultimately to have the same mind as the Lord Jesus Christ? Good question. Well, the Greek word phroneo is, means to develop an attitude based on very careful thought. In other words, let the same kind of thinking direct us, each and every one of us, as what directed the Lord Jesus Christ, as we read in verse 5 of chapter 2 in today's epistle. Because our Lord Jesus Christ went so far as to devoid himself of his divine status for the benefit of us, for the benefit of humanity, which is the opposite of thinking presumptuously. In other words, he had every right to use his power and his authority to not do that. But he chose that. He did that for his glory. He did that for our redemption. In the form of God, when we see that, the word is translated from the Greek word morphe. And you may recognize that when we think of certain words like metamorphosis. It means not a mere appearance, but it's actually the manifestation of reality itself. The sense of the word actually equates to the nature. Thus, the whole phrase, being in the form of God, asserts the Godhead of the Son even before his incarnation. Just as in verse 7, taking the form of a servant asserts his true manhood after it. Both before and after his incarnation, he is the image or expression of the unseen God. This is high Christology, yet look at the application. And since the second person of the Trinity, our Lord Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, who is very God and very man, as we say in the Creed on on every Sunday, he emptied himself of his glory to dwell in the midst of the very sinners he came to save, of the very people he came to save, of the very same people who turned on him, and ultimately to die a shameful death on the cross for our redemption. All the more reason why we ought to be humble, as St. Paul wrote earlier in chapter 2, verse 3, where he said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. That is the exact opposite of being selfish or being self-serving. And that is what the Lord Jesus Christ modeled for us. Even though he had every right to exalt himself, he is exalted. He is the resurrected Christ. He is the one who ascended. He is the one who will return to judge the living and the day and the dead. But yet at that moment in time, he humbled himself. And yet when when we think of that, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. But why is that hard? That seems kind of difficult to do at times, don't you think? It does for me, because I have a tendency to be selfish at times. And yet, I don't think uh, I mean to be selfish. I don't think any of us means to be selfish. And yet, quite often, in the midst of crises, in the midst of uncertainty, in the midst of stress, in the midst of disagreement, 
in the midst of even financial difficulty or global instability as we're seeing today, and even an interpersonal strife among friends or family, quite often those circumstances reveal who we really are, truly reveal our our selfish nature on, on occasion, on occasion. So what's inside of us ultimately spills out of us much like a tipped tumbler. And like I used to often teach when I was an instructor a few moons ago, I would hold up this opaque glass filled with water and I would tell the students, okay, so what's inside of that? You can't see. And, and they didn't know. They didn't know there was water in there. I put water in there so that when I spilled it, it would just evaporate and wouldn't be nearly as messy as milk or coffee or something like that. So I said, you don't really know what's inside that tumbler until I tipped it. And what I would often tell them is that over the next six weeks, you're about to be tipped, you know, and it's going to be exacting on you. So it's just like us, you know, often what spills out of us when we're tipped uh, often is not pretty. And I will include me in that as well. So what do we do about it? Okay, we're not to remain hopeless and defeated. No, because we're more than conquerors, right? Okay, so what can we do? Well, first, let's recognize tendencies to default to our fleshly responses of strife, envy, or unrighteous anger. We all default to that on occasion. Secondly, we feed on the word of God and submit to the power of the Holy Spirit to fill us and to renew our minds, to renew our thoughts, words, actions, and attitudes, to be more closely aligned with Christ and his word. And we place our trust in him and him alone. And we live our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit. In this area, this is no different. We read on. Let's pick up with verse 9 of our epistle. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. At this point, the ancient hymn shifts into the next stanza. The first stanza spoke of Christ as the acting subject of all the verbs to underscore his humility. Now, in the last half, it is God who acts and Christ is the object of the divine action which underscores his exaltation by God the Father. God highly exalted him. And what that means in the Greek is that it refers to that moment in history marked by the resurrection slash ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus humbled himself in obedience to God to the point of accepting death, accepting death in its most horrific and humiliating form on the cross. He was resurrected from the dead and ascended to the place of supreme authority at the right hand of the Father. And this resurrection, I might add, was not resuscitation, no. It was not restoration to life like a a coded patient that you might have seen on an old episode of the TV series Grey's Anatomy, or that patient miraculously came back to life. It wasn't that at all. But, you know, and neither uh, uh, was he skirting death, but rather this was death accepted. Death accepted on the cross, but also death defeated with the empty tomb. And that's the good news right there. He defeated death. 
He defeated sin and he defeated Satan. And this statement that God highly exalted Christ is accompanied by the statement that God gave him the name that is above every name. This statement parallels the first, but serves both to reinforce the fact of Christ's resurrection and exaltation, and at the same time to measure both the cosmic extent of it as well as the eternal implications of it, the eternal implications upon us. And then in verse 10, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. And when St. Thomas needed proof of the resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciple. And we also read about that account in St. John chapter 20, verses 27 and 28. And we read, and then he, that's Jesus, said to Thomas, put your finger here. And see my hands, and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. And that should be our response today. In today's gospel, after Jesus yielded up his spirit, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. The rock split. And the tombs were opened, out of which the saints walked about and appeared in the holy city to many. And when the centurion and those who were with him, who kept watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and exclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. One way or the other, we will all confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He is our Redeemer King. He is our Savior and Lord. And He accomplished the work of our redemption on the cross to the glory of the triune God. So let's remember today as we embark upon this Holy Week, a week filled with reflection, because not only are we celebrating Holy Communion for Palm Sunday, but you see other services scheduled, not only here, but at All Saints. Uh, We have our Holy Wednesday service coming up this week and our Maundy Thursday service, both starting at 7 p.m. And also, I highly recommend the Stations of the Cross. They have a couple of offerings that you'll see in the the insert uh, over there at All Saints. I mean, we would do our own, but we don't have our own set. So maybe, maybe in the future we will do that. But let's remember as we embark on this week and reflect on that marvelous work of redemption that our Lord Jesus Christ did for us, just remember that the same crowd that welcomed our Redeemer King with shouts of Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, was the same crowd who spared the life of Barabbas. Barabbas, a murderer, an insurrectionist, and called for our Lord's crucifixion to which he willingly submitted. He went to the cross out of love for us sinners who rightly deserved the punishment that he received as an act of grace and as an act of mercy and atonement for our sins. In humility, 
He emptied himself of his glory to dwell amid the very sinners he came to save and to die a shameful death on the cross for our, for our redemption. All the more reason for us to not only be grateful, but also having the same mind of Christ to be humble and gracious to each other in love. As we read in Ephesians 4, chapter 1 through uh, verses 1 through 3, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This Holy Week, let us remember the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And yet the disciples could not even keep their eyes open to pray with our Lord. And as we remember the Via Dolorosa that our Lord walked on his way to Calvary to be crucified with two robbers, a most horrific death at the hands of those who watched and mocked him, as we heard in today's gospel. And of course, uh, one thing, if you haven't participated in the Stations of the Cross, it is essentially a a devotional reenactment of that walk. So I commend that to you. It's it's a lot cheaper and a lot less time-consuming than flying out to Jerusalem to do that. I mean, I like to do that one day, but uh, just not practical. But definitely, I commend Stations of the Cross. Though Joseph of Arimathea laid him in a tomb, we will rejoice that we will celebrate the empty tomb next Sunday, Easter Sunday. So in the meantime, let us bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father as we turn to him in repentance and faith. Amen. And we say these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost.